Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 60. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We continue Halloween with another film from the filmmaker who swears he has no style, yet somehow every single film looks exactly the same. Tim Burton, welcome back. His style has been labeled Burton-esque, but I think it's safe to say that we can call them tropes now. Yeah. I- I'm just, I- I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sort of tired of him, but more so than anything, I'm tired with this denial. Frankenweenie looks like Beetlejuice, which looks like Batman, which pulls inspiration from Sleepy Hollow and Alice in Wonderland and, and every, basically every film he's made other than maybe Big Fish. That's really the only one in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which are which are completely different from the rest of those films. Big Fish is a masterpiece. Yes, it is. It's probably his best film. I, I but I I don't know I don't know why he just won't admit it. I I feel like he's almost afraid to admit it because if he he if he admits that it's almost like he's become formulaic. I go back and forth with him because. I had seen all of his movies right up through the 90s and, you know, I was a huge fan right up until Sleepy Hollow because I think that's another one of his best films. Yeah, it was really good. It was a good interpretation. Stylistically, it was pretty amazing. But you still see a burning windmill at the end of it, you know? Yes, and the twisted trees and the stylized blood. Exactly. But And the very pale skin with the very dark lips. Exactly. I read his book after that. It's it's not even his book. It was a book that compiled interviews with him called Burton on Burton. And even then, in all of these interviews, still won't admit it, still won't admit it. And that really caused me to dislike him for a while, actually, because I was like, you know, I, I never thought he was the kind of director to have such an ego, but that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And then... You and I had gone to see his traveling exhibit when it was at MoMA. And as a fan, it was everything you'd ever want to see. I mean, it was like Jack Skellington, the many faces of Jack Skellington. They looked like little cake pops on sticks. And it was all those different expressions. And it was, you know, the Headless Horseman's costume. And it was sets from Beetlejuice. And it was just the coolest thing. But what really changed my mind back was seeing some of his sketches as a child. And he had always drawn this way. He had always had this style. And I think that, you know, once he got into filmmaking, he just kind of looked back at his early inspirations and drew from there. I don't know that he intends to make everything look the same. I mean, the windmills, they're getting a little done. Even I will admit that. And I I think there's got to be some point where he, he, you know, thinks about a conscious choice that he's making to put another windmill in another film. But as far as his style, I just think he's putting out there whatever's in his head. And his head is a weird place. Yeah, and it's no no truer than uh, Frank and Weenie, both versions of Frank and Weenie, because before it was the full-length feature film that a lot of people are accustomed to, 
there was a short film that he had made that I actually saw. I want to say I was five or six years old. Oof. I think it was one of the first times it had been shown on television. It might have even been the television premiere of Frank and Weenie. I think it was on either ABC or the Disney Channel. I don't quite remember, but I remember specifically sitting with my grandmother watching the original 30-minute Frank and Weenie short. I never saw the short, but I think that if I had seen it that early at that age, it would have scarred me. Because even now, this was like the one Burton film that escaped me. I've still seen the entire catalog, but for whatever reason, I just never got around to seeing this. And when we sat down to watch it to prepare for a review, I I had like a borderline panic attack because... I know what it's about, obviously, but I keep thinking of like, okay, it's Frankenstein with a dog and it's reincarnated. But it wasn't until the castle comes on the screen that I realized we were going to see the dog die. Spoiler alert. I mean, the, the poster didn't give that away. But I just wasn't putting the two and two together. I'm thinking about the dog <laughs> because you know why because if you think of the story of frankenstein that is a or frankenstein's monster is a man that is stitched together out of parts of different bodies so when i'm thinking in those terms i'm not realizing that this is a dog that is coming back to life and to do that we have to kill it off first and I, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I did not want to sit down and watch this movie. I was I was seriously like hyperventilating. Well, not only did you get a chance to watch this movie, but you also watched the original short. But oh, before God. we talk about... Awful. Oh, and by the way, the funniest part about sitting to watch the original short was Jackie didn't know it was in live action. So <laughs> <laughs> you just thought it was a short cartoon. And sure did. And then when you saw Shelley Duvall and Daniel Stern, you went, wait... These are real people. It's a real dog. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Uh, you had to be there. But before we got to that, we got to the animated version of Frank and Weenie. It starts with us meeting Victor Frankenstein and his dog Sparky, the star of his many homemade films. His parents confirm that other than Sparky, Victor has no friends. Victor's father the next day, they're sitting at the at the breakfast table. He says, Victor can participate in his science fair at school, but only if he tries baseball. At his first game, he hits a home run. Sparky chases after the ball, runs into the road, and is struck by a car and killed. Later at school, Victor learns about how electricity can reanimate muscles in a corpse. He runs home, gathers all of the wires and electronics that he can find, digs Sparky up, patches him up, and gets him wired for reanimation, which he accomplishes with the help of a lightning storm. The next day, Sparky gets out, but is spotted by Edgar, a classmate of Victor's, who wants to be his science fair partner. Edgar tells Victor that if he doesn't explain how Victor pulled off the reanimation, he will out him to everybody at school, the neighbors, and even his parents, because up to this point in time, other than Edgar, nobody knows that Victor has brought Sparky back from the dead. Edgar buys a dead goldfish and forces Victor to show him how the reanimation process works. And uh, once they do so, 
Edgar starts showing off the results to basically anybody that will pay him attention. Eventually, Victor's parents discover Sparky alive and tell Victor what he has done is very serious. Sparky escapes again, and they set out to find him. He ends up at the Dutch Day Carnival in town, and while out in search of Sparky, some of Victor's classmates uh, classmates enter their house and observe the tools that Victor used in his lab to bring Sparky back. They then set off to the pet cemetery behind the Micmac burial ground to reanimate their pets <laughs> because they're all trying to win the same science fair. So we're all going to do the same experiment, but only one of us will win. Yes, this makes a lot of sense. But... After they do the experiment, something goes terribly wrong, and the animals come back aggressive and deformed, and they go to wreak havoc on the Dutch Day Carnival. After Victor defeats the monsters, yes, they turn into monsters, um, the townsfolk set their sights on Sparky. They chase him into, guess where? Where'd they go? Where'd they go, Jack? An old windmill. They go to the old windmill and accidentally set it on fire, as you do, and not knowing that uh, Victor or Elsa are inside. Elsa, being a classmate of Victor's, also is the mayor's niece. Also Lydia from Beetlejuice. He does not have a style. Did I mention that Catherine O'Hara was in this? Just like she was in Nightmare, and she was in Beetlejuice too. How could you? Fr- Beetlejuice is the best one. Has no style. Remember, he does. He's not formulaic at all. Well, the kids are inside. The townspeople don't know this. Victor finds a rope and uses it to prevent Elsa from falling to her doom because she falls off the windmill. He throws it to her. She grabs it. She swings on it like a vine into the mayor, who braces her fall. Victor then is trapped inside, but is rescued by Sparky. After the rescue, the windmill collapses. It kills Sparky again. But now that the townsfolk see that Sparky is in fact a hero and not a villain or a monster, they all gather, hook Sparky up to their car batteries, and reanimate him again. So Sparky gets his happy ending. Um, I do wonder, or I did wonder if part of this is sort of semi-biographical. Did Burton have some sort of traumatic experience as a kid? And maybe he always wanted to do this. Maybe he had a dog that was struck by a car, a beloved pet that had passed away. And because of his interest in horror films and the macabre, he was not able to bring the dog back himself, so he made a film about a child who was able to do it. I think it's a little column A, little column B. I think the most traumatic thing that happened to Burton in his childhood was that he grew up in Burbank in suburbia and was bored. And that's what drew him to all of these movies. Um, So I think more than anything else, this was having more to do with his obsession with sci-fi films. Um, but what he says about Frankenweenie and, and what inspired it, uh, this is coming from Burton on Burton, the book that I was talking about earlier. 
Uh, he says, you have a dog that you love, and the idea of keeping it alive was the impulse for the film. Again, growing up watching these horror movies, for some reason, I was always able to make direct links emotionally between the whole gothic Frankenstein, Edgar Allan Poe thing and growing up in suburbia. Frankenweenie was just another outgrowth of that. And here's the thing where you go back and forth with this guy, because in the beginning of the film, and I can't remember if it was the short or if it was the animated, it says based on an original idea by it Tim said Burton. It both. I beg to differ. It's based in on based on an idea by Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Give me a freaking break. He it says the original idea by Tim Burton in both the short and the animated film. However, I kind of get where, as you were saying, if he was traumatized, what I think this film does really, really well is that from having a dog, I relate to it. If God forbid, I mean, like, he's my first dog. I've never had to go through it, but I know that that day is eventually going to come. And I can't say that I'm not going to be beside myself and wouldn't go to the ends of the earth to bring him back either, you know? So I think the setup of this film and just emotionally, I think he did a really good job of tapping into that childlike reaction of doing anything and everything to to bring the dog back. And then where it becomes a really great sci-fi movie is that, you know, it's it's relatable and it's the way that they eventually figure it out. It's it's pretty realistic. There's a part of the movie that in a weird way is comforting in its premise because you'd love to believe that you are able to do this for all of your pets. And in the film, he's able to pull it off. So there is a part of it where you almost feel like it's a victory for you because you can relate to it. However, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. However, um, there are just a lot of things that happen in the full length feature that I think are just a swing and a miss. I actually, without spoiling too much, I actually think the 30 minute short for me at least, was a better film than the full length. Because in the short, it's exactly what it is. It's a short. It's a half an hour long. He's making films with Sparky. His family is supportive of him. He's playing with Sparky in the front yard. Sparky gets killed. He goes to school, learns about reanimation. He comes back. He pulls it off. The parents find out. And they reluctantly accept what he has done. The townsfolk freak out, chase them into a windmill on a miniature golf course. He rescues the kid from the inside. He dies again when it collapses on him. They revive him. It's done. It's a short, concise, complete story that has characters that are fleshed out perfectly. It's just enough. In this movie, though... Burton denies having influences or, or, or denies that he pulls too much from a certain influence. Mm-hmm. But he's got Edgar, clearly is named after Edgar Allan Poe, but he's supposed he's to Igor. be Igor. He's yeah. Igor. He's got the voice like this sometimes, and sometimes he doesn't, and it's very distracting. He's got the hunchback 
He's got the teeth. He's got the crooked eyes. He looks like Igor. Right. And that's where you make the argument that this is certainly not an original idea, but this is no. a retelling. Yes. When when you have that much of a, you know, and the, obviously the next obvious thing is the poodle next door where they zap her and it, it gives the uh, the white streak through the hair. For the Bride of Frankenstein. For the Bride of Frankenstein, sure. To start with, you have a character whose name is Weird Girl. She's not. She doesn't have an actual name. She's called Weird Girl. And she's too weird. And she's completely off-putting. She collects cat feces and shows it to people as if they are omens. Yeah, she says it's the cat's premonitions. Why does this exist in this movie? Yeah, I I wish they had cut the whole thing. Because it's not even like that really has anything to do with the story later on. She's a complete waste of space. Yes, she makes no sense in the movie. And she is just so strange and so odd that she's nothing but uncomfortable every single time you see her. I don't understand why you need a permission slip to participate in a science fair at school. Well, not normally, but when you're raising the dead, I kind of feel like that was a good choice. But the, the point of the project was not to raise the dead. I know. That was the project he wanted to do. But that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's kind of a good fail-safe that they did have to sign off on it when that's what ended up happening but for it, everyone. Yeah, but it's completely unrealistic. Just like it's unrealistic that the kid's into science, he's into making movies. And the father says, well, you can do this scholastic thing, but only if you try baseball. If he's a scholar, that's what he is. No parent would tell their child they could not participate in a spelling bee or an art fair or a science fair or a mathematical decathlon unless they played a sport. It just doesn't make sense. Well, it does, but I think the dialogue did not do a great job of playing this out. There's a throwaway line earlier on after they watch the his his Super 8 movie. Yeah. Uh, and the father says to his wife, um, I hope, you know, all that time he spends up there, he doesn't turn out like weird or whatever. So really what the dad is trying to do is expose him to group activities. But it's just not explained well because, yeah, it does come off that he's, you know, I, I mean, it comes off completely unsupportive and it's supposed yeah. to. But what what they don't do a good job when he sits Victor down and, and you know, expresses that he wants him to play a sport. It's just like, I'll let you do your thing, but you also have to do this. That way you don't have to choose which you like better. It wasn't like a gentle nudge to like, hey, it wouldn't kill you to get out there and make some friends. However, I do think that this was, even though it was a bad setup, it was a better choice to have him play baseball because in the original short, he's playing with Sparky in the yard. They have a white picket fence and there's a gap where the, the you know, walk up to the house goes out to the sidewalk. And... 
it's so stupid when they kill the dog off in the short because he just rolls the ball right out to the street. It's so careless. And it it really, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to the show, you know that any movie that has a dead dog in it is not going to sit well with me at, at all whatsoever. But, like, I really thought that was just a horrible choice in an otherwise great short. So... I'm on board with the baseball thing because it was more realistic that he goes and Sparky goes and chases the baseball instead of just following it out into the street that your human who's supposed to protect you through. It's a better setup. I'll give you that. But everything that led up to that moment for me makes absolutely no sense. And it comes off as we did this for the sake of convenience because we had to get him on that baseball diamond. Because in the short, he has friends. He has friends in the short film. He's not the weird kid without any friends. Yeah, it's like the neighborhood crowd that he's hanging out with. So it could have just as easily been a bunch of kids playing stickball or playing baseball on a sandlot. And the dog just happens to be there and chases after it. It didn't need to be an organized Little League game. No, especially because that does kind of fall apart, too, because his mother's there watching in the stands, and instead they tie Sparky up to the bleachers. Like, why isn't she holding him, you know? Right. Well, I kind of got the feeling that to them the dog was just a dog. It wasn't anything special. Because after the dog is killed, they're trying to soothe his pain, and the mother says... You know, it's not that he's gone forever. He's just gone to a, a, a new place in your heart and something to that effect. But they're just like, yep, he was a great dog. Like, they don't even seem like they're that shaken up over it. Like, at least the parents, at least Daniel Stern and Shelley Duvall in the short, you could tell that they were they were heartbroken. They were not only heartbroken, but they were also way more concerned about how Victor was handling it. Yeah. And how he was coping. Um, no, but I think... I think that has to do more like this is supposed to be set like in the 50s ish. So I think that kind of had more to do with the time period of like, you know, a lot of family pets were purchased back then to teach the kids responsibility and nothing more. They're they're certainly especially dogs are not as beloved, I don't think, as they are now. I think that's something that's just. You know, the, the the love of a pet has evolved. Not to say that people didn't love their pets less back then, but I think it's just more evolved as far as looking at it as a member of the family as opposed to something to take care of. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, Sparky's death should have been a get-out-of-jail-free card with Dad because if Dad didn't force him to play Little League, they never would have been put in this position. Sure. But I kind of feel like... They're going on business as usual as if it never happened. And and, and he feels no guilt over this, the right. father, so who was played by Martin Short. And Catherine O'Hara played the mother. Um, so it was, their whole relationship, I thought, was kind of strange. And, and it felt kind of disconnected. I definitely agree. The Short did a better, a way better job of developing the relationship with the parents. But what I do like in the feature is that Victor was kind of always tinkering with things in the attic, whether it was making movies or doing these scientific experiments. So when he actually goes to get Sparky 
and bring him back to life. It's a lot less conspicuous that he's gathering all these things in, from the house and the kitchen to, to make the electrical current as opposed to the short where he's got a... That, that was one thing that bothered me. With every item that he takes, whether it's from the kitchen or the garage, he's he's got like some kind of weird line where it's like, this is totally normal. I'm just helping my dad clean out the garage. Um, so I think maybe the parents being a little bit more disconnected from him did serve this a little bit better. Maybe I just not the baseball thing. I I totally I totally agree with you there. The difference between this movie and the short is that the short had an an innocence to it. It had an authenticity to it where you kind of bought it as a real story. As crazy as that sounds, because this is about a child who digs up his dead dog and brings him back to life, a la Frankenstein. For me to say that it had an authenticity to it says a lot because it came off very genuine and it had a lot of heart. And I feel like because of a lot of the things we've discussed so far, a lot of that gets lost. Because really the cast as a whole is sort of strange. It's not just weird girl. Else is a little weird. Her uncle, the mayor, his aggression towards everything makes no sense. He's totally unmotivated to be this angry about anything. He just wants Dutch Day to go well. We don't really understand what Dutch Day is. We we know they're in New Holland, so I guess that's just like their bicentennial. I don't know what it is. But we don't see how much or or how little the rest of the town is invested in it. You know, this is what, like Burton does have a tendency. That's another one of his tropes where it's like the weirdo kind of wins everybody over. Like think about Edward Scissorhands, how everybody's terrified of him at first. And then he starts cutting hair and trimming hedges and everybody loves him. You you don't get that same sense of community where everybody's rallying around something. And I feel like, yeah, that would have given us a better sense of place as far as Dutch Day goes. Mm hmm. There's a scene where they fire their science teacher, teacher that taught them about reanimation. And Which, happens. by the way, I love that scene where he does it, it almost it, it's like he's telling a, a horror story instead of just explaining how science works. And it, it's not like he does it purposely to try and entertain the kids by engaging them and telling them a scary story the entire tone of the film shifts in that moment yeah it's voiced, it's cool voiced by martin landau who does a great job with it but they fired the teacher now i could understand if you fired him if this was some sort of you know integral storyline where you fire him after this mayhem at the carnival because the kids reanimated the corpses of their their dead pets. They fire him before, and it's kind of unmotivated and doesn't really make a lot of sense. They fire him because he's weird. I think it's supposed to be a metaphor for them being afraid of progress and technology and moving forward all the things that Disney loved. So I think it was more of like a fear of the unknown. And that's why they kind of rallied at the meeting against him. 
But my question to you is this. Did it add to the story? Did this movie need that to happen? Not necessarily, because it it wasn't like a cause and effect type of thing. Like, they're treating the teacher as though he planted the seeds with these kids. And then, you know, like, he wanted them to do his bidding. Like, he wanted to reanimate these dead pets and just planted the seeds and gave them the roadmap. And then they went and they executed it. No. That's not what happened here. It's that you played on a grieving child and you gave him all the answers and then he did with it, you know, what he was going to. I think, you know, regardless whether he had the tools or not, Victor would have tried something. You know, like the the other big comparison, you know, we talked about a lot as we were watching this film. The other strong influences are clearly from Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And that's a totally different way. That that's all really driven from grief, and and that's that's where Judd in Pet Cemetery he did plant the seeds. Yes, and and that's where this movie is different. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in like you know the sense that there is an actual Pet Cemetery in this movie that kind of looks like Beetlejuice. Um, but. And Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride, but he doesn't have a style jacket. <laughs> exactly. But yes, to circle back around to what you were saying. Yeah. It, it might not have merited firing the teacher because it's not like he did what Judd did in Pet Cemetery. Exactly. It just seems completely unmotivated. The whole scene makes no sense because it's not even as if, it's not like, oh, captain, my captain. Like, he, like this teacher had <laughs> yeah. some great influence on all the kids, and they rally behind him. He was just kind of a teacher that they had class with, and that's about as far as the relationship went. Like, there was, just, like, a lot of little things and subplots in this film that didn't go anywhere and sort of seemed unnecessary. Well, like I said, it's, it's the metaphor, and, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that later on they learn their lesson the hard way because they, and and that's the other thing. It's not like he gave the answer to all of these kids. He gave it to one who figured it out and wanted to bring his dog back. And then the rest of the kids, you know, they, they bully Victor into getting it out of him. But that's, that's the problem. It all goes awry is because they're missing steps. They didn't do it with Victor. There was all, there was a variable in each of the experiments. And, And that's where, you know, when he's leaving and he's packing up, his stuff, Victor does go to question him. So the, the the character does kind of come full circle. Yeah, he does. But it, it still doesn't make any of what they did necessary. Oh, yeah. you. Could, I mean, you could have done it without him. Speaking of something that's totally unnecessary, this entire carnival attack scene, I, I don't understand why it's happening. These kids did literally the same exact thing that Victor did. They didn't miss any steps. They didn't do it the wrong way. They literally followed the exact thing that he did. At least that's what we are led to believe. Oh, contraire. Okay, go ahead. That's what I was just talking about, how the teacher does say there was a, a different variable could change the experiment. When Igor, whatever his name is. Edgar. Sure. Goes to get the fish. The fish is in water. So that's going to change the experiment. 
the same thing with the sea monkeys. Same thing. Well, there's the guinea pig, and then there's what's the other one? The turtle and the rat. Oh no! And then the weird girl. The the cat eats the bat, and it becomes this weird like hybrid thing. That's not changing the experiment. That's just weird. Well, yeah. But they get like fried together and become one weird thing. But as far as not having to do with the film, I mean, yeah, it it doesn't really do anything for the story because at the end of the day, they still end up in the windmill and that has nothing to do with the rest of the animals running rampant. Right. But I think this is where it's like, Mr. I'm not influenced by anything. This was his homage to all of the classic horror movies that he watched as a kid. The guinea pig is wrapped in gauze. It's That's supposed to be the mummy. The rat thing, it, it kind of, it grows. It looks like a werewolf. Um... The sea monkeys is like creature from the Black Lagoon, and then no, uh, they're like gremlins because that scene was straight from Gremlins. They're drinking beer, they're eating popcorn, they're wreaking havoc on a small town, and it was done better in Gremlins. Joe Dante did it better than Tim Burton did, and I'll and I'll fall, I will die on that hill. All right, I'll give you that one, but I'm just saying. I think this is was his, you know, especially because they include the Bride of Frankenstein too. I, I think this was just him paying homage to all the classics that he loved. We we were missing the Blob. That was really it, you know. Yeah, but it's just it's too much. You're doing a film called Frankenweenie. You've shot it in black and white, which is a touch that I actually did like. I liked it in the short, and I liked it in this version. You're already paying homage. You've set the tone properly. You've got the right look. It's your interpretation of it. You've set the time period properly. You didn't need this. It didn't work. This whole monster attack on the carnival didn't work. Especially because, by and large, Sparky didn't do anything to help Victor end that attack. It's not like it was a team effort. It was really more Victor and Edgar than it was anything else. You know what? I disagree, though, because, yes, it does. It is seemingly pointless, and I'm I'm saying it does just pay homage to those other films, but I think what it really plays in back into is also the teacher, and I think it raises the question of just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I, I think that's the lesson here. It, it It's twofold. It's that, and it's with great power comes great responsibility. You figured all this out, but should you be, you know, not everybody should be doing this. So, so really, it's a whole should I or shouldn't I play God aspect. Exactly. I don't understand what weird girl does not get about Mr. Whiskers. I wish he ate her. That's not your cat. <laughs> no. I almost feel like I like I'm a scene out of either Reanimator or Boondock Saints. That's not your cat. <laughs> but for whatever reason, she sees it's a bat thing. It's trying to attack her, and it, Mr. Whiskers, stop it! What are you doing? I know she's supposed to be weird. I know her name is Weird Girl. Did I mention she's too damn weird? No, she really is. But you could also argue that 
you know, it's it's just like Victor. He doesn't want to see past what's right in front of him because it's his pet and he loves it. You argue that. I'm just going to say she's a bad character. <laughs> That's just my interpretation. Oh, no, I don't misunderstand. I hate her. I think she's dumb. I don't understand why she's saving her cat poop and thinks that it can predict the future. But I'm just saying, I, I think story-wise... Th- that's the point is that she doesn't want to admit that it's not really her cat anymore. Cat dead details later. Well played. Do you have anything else on the plot before we maybe talk about the aesthetic look of the film <laughs> before we go on here? Cause I do feel like I did a, a fairly good job of monopolizing my criticisms of this movie. I can't even so much call it a critique so much as I call it criticisms. No, but I did shoot down almost every single one of them, so you've monopolized nothing. Okay. Well, good for you. Uh, uh, yes, there is another question that this sort of poses, and it's you know plays into the uh, you know do I play God thing. Um, throughout the second half of the film, um, you know. Before everybody finds out about Sparky, I would say it's like the midpoint of the film. Victor has to keep him hidden away in the attic. And Sparky wants to do what he did in life and be outside and chase things. And, um, you know, he's he's not he has to be tied up to be kept in the attic so nobody finds him. He's not getting his son and he actually he needs to be recharged. That's how he eats is he charges you know he can't even be fed anymore he has to have his batteries recharged and he does start to deteriorate like pieces of him are falling off so you have to kind of question you know is this the right thing for sparky and the answer is definitely no because you know i think that's where it does a really good job of getting you to to look at the bigger pictures because obviously letting go is very very hard but like if your pet is not going to have a good quality of life sometimes you have to you know the hard thing and the right thing are the same and they did that that same sight gag they did it in my boyfriend's back from the early 90s and i want to say they also did it in return of the living dead that deterioration where like somebody's ear falls off and Mm. their nose falls off and their l and their finger falls off and it's funny it's meant comedically but it does raise that question because as funny as it is, you go, well, this isn't going to last long. Mm. So I agree. In this case, just like it does in those other two movies, it does work in proving its point. No, and with that being said, I, I have to say I was surprised by the ending when they do bring him back. Because, you know, so we did get that Burton moment of where the weirdo has won the town over. Sparky proved himself the hero. He saved Victor. And they all decide that they want to help Victor and and recharge him again. But I was kind of surprised that for two reasons, that they didn't force the lesson to be learned about loss. And they, they gave us the happy ending here. And, you know, Victor gets to keep Sparky, albeit in this form. But, um... You know, after the windmill, he's lost in a fire. So it's like, did you even have a body to recharge? Apparently they did. We saw it. Yeah, but I mean, maybe that is reading a bit too much into it. But I I really thought for sure 
that he was just going to burn and then Victor would have no way of getting him back. And at the end of the day, he, he would lose his, he would learn the lesson. So I was really surprised by the ending, actually. I, I don't see, other than like old Yeller, I don't see a Disney film where they're going to kill the dog at the end. I just don't see it happening. That's a good point. Um, but that that bothers me the least of all the other things that I mentioned. That bothers me certainly the least. I, I kind of like the fact that they have that happy ending. What I really appreciate about this film is that I think the stop motion looks amazing. Yeah, between that and the black and white, I mean, you know, we, we've argued how Burton denies his style, but, like, you can't deny this. This is your wheelhouse. This is where you're best. I mean, Nightmare is, I think, his best film. That and Big Fish. But, um... I'm glad that he went back to his roots with this one. Yeah, but even if you if you compare the stop motion in this to the stop motion in Nightmare, this is much better. And it's not that Nightmare isn't good. It's just that you see how much further technology and editing and, you know, it's so much more sophisticated now 20-something years later. It's just come a long way. Well, I think Nightmare is supposed to look kind of janky. As far you know, the the movements aren't supposed to be as fluid. This is supposed to be, you know, it is supposed to look like a live action. Um, and with that being said, too, I'm glad because he did the short as a live action. Um, which, by the way, we've referenced it so many times. If you do want to watch it, it's not that hard to find. It's not like you know buried in the depths of YouTube. It's on the Nightmare Before Christmas Blu-ray. They they showed a couple of Tim Burton's early work, so you can go see it. And it's on the Frankenweenie Blu-ray as well, not the DVD, yeah. but the Blu-ray. Just trigger warnings. It's a live-action dog, and you don't see anything. It's totally kid-friendly, but I mean, it's it's to me, it's bothersome. They do it the same way that they did it in this film, if you've seen this one. The 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 strike of the car is off screen and you just see the baseball it's a cutaway. down the block. Yeah, it's all a cutaway. But um I I think it was a smart choice that because you had already done the live action, but especially being that this is a feature length, I think it's got a broader appeal. I think it's an easier sell to families to take their kids. Um I think it's more engaging for kids. I think it's more of the time. And I think that if the original live action short, like if Burton wasn't already with Disney at that point, I think if that was his first film and he entered it into a bunch of festivals, it would have put his career on the map. I think it's that good, honestly. But I'm I'm glad that, you know, he was able to get a second chance and do the feature in a completely different way that's still... I wouldn't call it Disney-fied because tonally it's still a dark film. And I'm. it still surprises me that it's released under the Disney banner and that we are covering it on this show. But um, it's, stylistically, I think it's great. I agree. In terms of characters, Victor and Sparky, to me, are the only two characters worth it. I think the parents are disconnected. I think the entire cast is just totally strange and off-putting. Even Elsa Van Helsing is supposed to be... I, I, I don't know if she's supposed to be a love interest towards Victor or if they're just friendly neighbors and the two dogs are a love interest. There's just a lot about her that's just sort of strange as well. 
I don't, I do not connect with any of these characters. I don't feel a childhood innocence. I don't find them to be endearing the way that they pulled it off in the live action short. Um, well, I think what they did do better here, you know, we were talking a little bit about it before where Victor does have friends in the neighborhood. I think this sets up better and that's why there is a disconnect. It better justifies how hard the loss of Sparky is because it's more than just his pet. That was his only friend. So I don't think we're supposed to relate to any of these other kids because they don't relate to Victor. Elsa is sort of sympathetic towards him and she's sort of like a kindred spirit, but it never really goes anywhere with the two of them. Yeah. romantically or otherwise it doesn't even have to be romantically but like the friendship never really evolves that much no she's sort of just there and whatever road they're headed down it just hits a wall and it's done Mm -hmm. it it doesn't it doesn't flourish into anything there's no payoff and i feel like that that a lot of a lot of that is happening in this movie there are scenes that don't have payoff there are plot plot holes and plot lines that have no payoff I think really it's it's more than anything else just to get the Bride of Frankenstein in there. Yes, it's a vehicle to introduce that character. Because otherwise her uncle, who is their next door neighbor, hates the dog. He has a cat. Um so so how how could you have another dog living next door when he's clearly not on board? Right. She's staying with her uncle and that's why the dog is there. Temporarily. Yeah. Um so interesting enough, the original Frankenweenie short is what got Tim Burton fired from Disney because he spent a million dollars to make that 30 minute film that Disney thought was a waste of resources because they thought this is too dark, children will not relate to it, we can't show this to children and then a year later they released the black cauldron Ex- ex- explain the logic there because that makes no sense no that's that's irony but i think the the counter to that is that burton insists that disney was smothering him and he didn't have creative freedom like the big argument they were initially going to put the frankenweenie short before Pinocchio. And the issue was that... Yeah, the, it was getting a theatrical re-release, yeah, as they did. But the short had a PG rating, and Pinocchio had a G rating, and you cannot have a PG preceding a G film. They both have to be G, in other words. And Burton's argument was, why is this movie not G-rated? There's no violence. You don't really see anything. And Pinocchio is, like, way darker than my movie. I actually think that would be a good pairing because I think eventually Frank and Weenie ended up before Jungle Books re-release or something like that. Right. Which really doesn't make any sense. No. But they had to release the movie somehow. But I just found it interesting that they fired him over the film and then brought him back in to make the full-length feature of said film that got him fired for it being too dark 
and then they released the Black Cauldron. And the Black Cauldron, it was not a shock that the Black Cauldron was as dark as it was. They had sought out to make it that way for years. I think he worked on that one, too, before he got fired. Right. Whether it was just, like, concept art or I don't know if he got to edit. That, that's the thing. He's not... I can't remember if he's credited or not, but if he is, you don't find out exactly what he was. He might have just been like an in-betweener or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But, but uh, And then, irony of ironies, they bring him back again to make the worst piece of garbage, the Alice remake. Yeah. Well, they love him. Now they love him. But interesting, too... The reason why he made Pee-wee's Big Adventure is because Paul Rubens saw the Frankenweenie short and loved it so much that he sought out Tim Burton to direct Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, good. I'm so glad we have Paul Rubens' stamp of approval on this. Well, you know, Paul Rubens has appeared in quite a few of Tim Burton's films. Paul Rubens also got arrested for things that I won't say on this show. And we're just going to leave it there. But in conclusion here, if you eliminated Weird Girl, if you eliminated the ridiculous monster attack, and I think if you made the parents a little bit more sympathetic and less disconnected from reality, I think that this is a great film. Otherwise, at best, it's okay. And I said it before, I think the short is leaps and bounds better than this movie. Um, yeah, I, I've said it before. I think the short stands all on its own. I think that had he not been a part of Disney, that would have launched his career. Um, but I, I disagree with you. I think in spite of its warts, I actually think that this is one of Burton's best films. Um, you know, I said before, I, I love Big Fish. It's gorgeous and the story's amazing. I love Nightmare because that's just been, you know, at the time we had never really seen anything like it and that's been ingrained in my childhood. But, you know, I I love that they kept this black and white. I love that they did it stop motion. And I think that, you know, if if we're taking the realism out of it this is a sci-fi film and it's a great sci-fi it's it's a great concept and they do such a great job of making it relatable making it believable that it could actually happen and and then they tie it back to you know the emotion i i would say you know on those themes alone i would say it's as good as jurassic park that's some high praise yeah do you praise it the same way, or do you agree with me? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Some news this week. We have not seen a blessed thing off of Disney Plus yet. We've seen trailers. We've seen teasers. We've seen production stills. But we do know that I guess High School Musical, the musical, the series, must be really good because it's already been renewed for a second season. And as we sit here today, the day that we record and release this podcast, we are about three weeks away from the launch of Disney+. Plus. So this must be a pretty good show. I'm really surprised that they're doing that because they're still continuing to film at the school in Utah. 
where they shot the original. I mean, they must be doing it over the summer. But yeah, I mean, they were able to to schedule the filming of the feature length film around the school schedule. I know. I'm just surprised the school would want to be, you know, tangled up in that for however many more years. If they're getting money, they're not going to say no. Yeah. But that got announced, and so did the box office numbers this week for Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, took in $36 million at the box office and bumped Joker out of the top spot by about $800,000. Joker took in $29.2 million. Um, we saw it over the weekend. Uh, we released a monoreel in a minute. You can see it on our Twitter and on our Instagram. Instagram, it was a story. It is now going to be buried in a highlight somewhere. Right. But you can check it out there and get our review. But, you know, for what it's worth, I'm not really surprised to see that this was at the top of the box office for its opening week. I am, because I'm really surprised it dethroned Joker. I mean, Joker was going to get dethroned eventually. But, I mean, to put it in perspective, Joker's been out for a couple of weeks and this only made eight hundred thousand more, which Has I know kind of sounds. Weeks already? Yeah, that was the beginning of October. Now, I've, I know that I've that been sounds... in a weird time warp of the Hamptons Film Festival. Yeah, it sounds, I don't even know what it is. It sounds silly when you say only eight hundred thousand dollars because it's not a small sum of money. But over the course of a theatrical run, it's not a lot of money. So right. the fact that. Joker is still pulling in what it's pulling in. I think Maleficent's going to have an incredible drop-off next week, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Joker back up in the number one spot. I don't think this movie's going to have staying power. I think you're going to see a big drop-off in week two. Well, I don't think anyone cares, because a month from now we got Frozen 2. Yeah, and that'll be the end of that. Yeah. But did you guys see... Maleficent Mistress of Evil this weekend. What did you think? You can let us know again on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or on all three if you like, at Monoreal Radio. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We are counting down the days until we leave for our trip. Roughly two weeks from now, we will be spending our first day in the Magic Kingdom. I'm excited. I can't wait. We have Monorail with Monoreal. You guys can join us if you like. A little Monorail pub crawl. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jackie, how can you get them there if they want to join us? I am with Magical Vacation Planners, so you guys can get in touch with me, and I will get you the best deal on your vacation. You can reach out directly through our social media at Monorail Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>